Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, welcome back to Making Action Happen, the show that we do for Action 22 uh, community in Colorado and now around the world. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain. We've got an interesting show for you today. It's a little bit of a continuation on the talk that we had with Commissioner Tony Haas last week, um, and we've got Garen Vorthman returning to the show. You'll remember um, that she was named one of the most influential or the most impactful uh, lobbyists at for the state of Colorado. She works on a lot of ag issues. Um, welcome back to the show, Garen. It's so great to have you here. It's nice to see you guys, too. You, you've been a little bit busy up at the Capitol, especially working on all of these ag issues. Um, before we get too far into the ag worker bill, I wanted to see if you could give us a little bit of a report on what's happening up there. Um, you should just not edit yourself. We just want to hear all the dirt and everything that's going on. I know everybody's really in a good mood and happy and loving it. Could go another month or two in the session, right? Yeah, absolutely. No tension at all. None. It's getting long. It's great. No, you're, you're exactly right. We are in the last couple weeks of the session. Um, technically, they can go until June 12th um, to fulfill all of their obligations. However, I know they are working really, really hard to get done earlier than that. Originally, their target date was this Friday. That is not going to happen. Right, so, right. So it was kind of unrealistic. We're going to take this weekend off, having it be a Memorial Day holiday. So we will, uh, they'll, they'll break sometime Friday afternoon or evening, and then we'll come back at it on Tuesday morning and work oh, through the week, see if we can get done by next Friday. And if not, um, we'll go into the next week. So, so to give some perspective and context, um, how many bills have been introduced so far this session? There's between 600 and 700 bills that have been introduced. And as of late last week, there was around 240 that were still in the pipeline in some part of the process. And then we also know that they are working on a couple more bills that they want to introduce still yet in the next (laughs) couple of days. I think that those are going to be um, focused on the how, how the state can spend the federal stimulus money and right. get that ball rolling before the end of the session. And they're going to try to spend a portion of that, those funds coming in and then come back next year and run bills to do the rest of that. Okay. All right. So um, there's been a lot of, I mean, it's been all about energy and ag this session, that's and there's usually a theme that kind of comes out of every session. Well, the theme of this one is controversy over energy and ag. Contra. <laughs> is this yeah. true, Karen? <laughs> yeah, that's very much true. And and we've seen a lot of energy related bills over the last couple of years, and so that wasn't necessarily a surprise for us this year as well. Moving the ball forward on trying to address greenhouse gas emissions. Um, 
electric grid reliability, uh, consumer choice, all of those kind of things have been on the agenda for energy related issues. And then, uh, as you mentioned, for agriculture, we have faced uh, one of the most consequential and big, far changing bills that we have seen for this industry in a, a long number of years. So it, it's been interesting. We, we've also seen a lot of healthcare cost related conversations with regards to drug prices, as well as the public option and, and trying to uh, cut down on the cost of, of healthcare here in the state. So it hasn't just been on energy and ag, but that has been a top focus of um, the legislature this year, for sure. Well, that's, you know, with Action 22, that's kind of our wheelhouse right now, being in southeastern Colorado, rural, it's all energy and ag. That, that's the two biggest things going on down here. So it's important to us. Yeah, it's huge. Let's talk about when you said far reaching and impactful legislation, we're talking about right this minute about the um, ag worker rights, agriculture worker rights. Yes. Is that what you were referring to? That's it. It's Senate Bill 21-087, so Senate Bill 87, and it is um, called the Agricultural Worker Bill of Rights. And where it's coming from is um, the ag industry across the country has been exempt from minimum wage and overtime laws. It's done on the federal level as as well as throughout all of the states. However, we have seen the last few years, a number of states have started to change the minimum wage and overtime for ag specific in their state. And so that is one of the main goals of Senate Bill 87 this year is to remove that exemption from agriculture and require us to pay minimum wage and overtime. There's a lot more in this bill. When you and I talked last week or earlier this week, I'm losing track of time. Um, There were still four amendments when it went on to the House. There were still four amendments that you really wanted to see happen. Um, Let's talk about those for a second, and then we'll go back to how this bill got started. Yeah, you're exactly right. There is much more to this bill than just the minimum wage and overtime. It also allows for collective bargaining for agricultural employees. It has whistleblower protection uh, language in it. It also, uh, as introduced, had a lot of language with regards to workplace safety issues, primarily surrounding heat stress and making sure that employees had the proper rest breaks, shade to sit under, uh, water availability, and those kind of things. It also um, had has information or has language in it that impact the range worker part of our industry. So the livestock producers who run their sheep or cattle out in the on the uh, range out in remote areas, there's significant language in there that impacts those employees, as well as some language that prohibits the use of certain kinds of tools that are very common in certain ag, ag production, especially organic vegetable growing. So the bill was significantly amended in the Senate last week. It it got introduced in February on the first day that we came back from the February break. So it's been out there for a very long time. 
there was not a lot of stakeholding with the ag industry prior to introduction. So once it was introduced, we started to take a look at it and started trying to work on um, amendments to try to address the concerns. And the bill sat on the calendar for a long time. It got sent to or assigned to the Senate Business Committee, not the Senate Ag Committee, which was a bit of a surprise for us, considering it is only about agriculture and, and the ag workers in our industry but the proponents felt like it was more of a labor bill, so they sent it to the Business and Labor Committee. But it got set on the calendar for a couple months while uh, different conversations were being had behind the scenes to try to come up with amendments. And in that committee, they did do some amendments that were uh, helpful, but uh, still had a lot of work to do after it passed out of that committee. So again, the bill just sat on the calendar for a long time while we tried to work out those amendments prior to it going through the rest of the committee process and onto the floor where we ultimately were able to get, I think there was 15 or 16 different amendments on the floor of the Senate to address a variety of concerns. So of those 16 amendments, how many are left? Is it just that four? The 16 got on and now we have three more that were okay, three more that you're working on. Yeah. Um, the amendments that got on on second reading in the Senate dealt with moving a lot of the specific criteria in the bill to rulemaking through the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment. And this is very consistent with what other industries have in terms of overtime. The Department of Labor has the authority to promulgate rules about overtime. They have, prom- have promulgated rules for um, meal and rest breaks. Uh, for other industries as well. So this is a very consistent way to deal with these issues. Instead of locking the specifics into statute, we will now embark on a rulemaking process through the Department of Labor, and that'll happen starting this summer and be finalized to be implemented in early 2022. So, and Brian and I were talking about this um, at length um, in in several settings, but aren't there already protections for ag workers or do they just not have any protections at all? We have been by and large exempt from a lot of what the Department of Labor promulgates rules over. Having said that, we do have some uh, rest break provisions that were added to the what we call the comps order, which is the annual minimum wage and overtime rule that the Department of Labor uh, updates or takes a look at every year. And a couple of years ago, they did add some language to provide for agricultural workers to have uh, meal and rest breaks that are very consistent with what the federal H-2A program has. And if people are not familiar with that program, that's the federal visa program that agriculture uses to bring in employees on a temporary basis from other countries. And we use it for um, all types of of Colorado agriculture. So there are some minimal protections in the current uh, regulation at the Department of Labor, but these new rulemaking will expand that to uh, cover the rest of the issues, uh, most specifically overtime, because that's one that we're definitely exempt from right now. So we will end up having rules that um, govern overtime for agricultural employees, as well as some of those other provisions, like I mentioned before, the, the heat and rest breaks, the um, water, providing water and shade and those kind of things that employers uh, do for their employees when they're working out in the sun. So one thing that we've talked about on the last episode and a few other before this was um, 
you know, a lot of these bills start with good intentions, right? This isn't with everything. I think every piece of legislation, 99.9% of them, starts with good intentions. Um, with this bill, what was the the motivator for this? I, I've read some things in the news that it was um, an incident that happened in, I think, northern Colorado. But what was the catalyst that brought this about to have this introduced? So a couple of years ago, um, the Department of Labor did a pretty big overhaul of their minimum wage and overtime, the comps rule. And it was a significant uh, update on a, on a rule that had really not seen a lot of update for decades. And during that process, there was language added to the draft version of the updated rules that would have brought agriculture into the minimum wage and overtime. Because ag has been has been exempt from all of those, we have not been a part of any conversations at CDLE uh, prior to that. We weren't on any of their notification mailing lists. There was no reason to notify us because we were exempt and they didn't have any authority over us. So we found out about it fairly late in the process when the rules had been drafted and they were just starting the official rulemaking process. And we started meeting with the Department of Labor and they realized at that time that they had missed an entire stakeholder group conversation about these issues. And so they agreed to take most of the ag related provisions out of that update. And then um, we continued to have conversations with CDLE uh, through out after that rule was finalized. And we started those conversations early in 2020. And we all know what happened fairly early in 2020 with COVID happening and everything shutting down. So we did continue to have those conversations, but they slowed way down because of the pandemic. And the goal was to always come up with some language to put into the rule that would be coverage for ag employees. Obviously that didn't happen for the 2020 process. And before we could get very much farther into the 2021 process and this year's rulemaking, this bill was dropped in order to force the issue. And the proponents wanted to make sure that it was in statute instead of rule because they felt like the department had not done enough by exempting it or continuing the exemption. So they wanted to lock it into statute. And so that kind of set the tone for this conversation in February when this bill was introduced. So I have two questions. One is, uh, and I went back and looked at the notes because um, our listeners will remember that you came and did the show um, with us sort of what you expected to see before the session started. And you had a list and you on that list, you have that there might be something about this, but not to this extent. So I want to talk a little bit about that stakeholder process because that's a, such an important piece. Um, Action 22 has supported some legislation that's gone up uh, this year just because there was a very active stakeholder process in that. But that doesn't sound like it happened here. Um how did, how did you get into this, that stakeholder process so far after the fact? Yeah, we had started hearing rumors late in uh, 2020 that, that ag labor was going to be a topic of conversation at the Capitol. And so we started reaching out to various legislators to try to find out what information we could gather. We had been under the impression that the bill an ag labor bill was going to start in the House under certain sponsorship. 
And so the week before we came back in February, we found out that it was actually going to be a Senate bill and it was under the um, sponsorship of Senator Jesse Danielson um, in the Senate. And so we reached out to her to try to see what she was thinking and, and, and get some uh, information from her. And she shared the draft bill. And that was uh, like Thursday or Friday before the session came back the next week. And so we had a draft bill that week, but it, we're quite surprised that it got introduced on that first day. We thought that there was going to be some more conversations about the draft and that didn't happen. So we just had to uh, bring together agriculture and start working on the introduction, the introduced version of the bill. So there was nothing prior to that. It was a surprise. It came for, to all the major ag organizations in the state. It was a surprise. Not that we were going to have the conversation, but the details were very surprising. So <clears throat> with this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, has there been a history of, say, abuse or basically what this bill is trying to alleviate and bring rights to the workers in Colorado? Has there been a history or multiple examples of ag producers abusing workers? Um, you know, I think that there are some valid concerns about the conditions that agricultural employees work in. And historically that has been an issue across the country. And, um, you know, everybody has heard of Cesar Chavez and the work that he's done in the farm employee um, world and, and providing more and more protections. The state of California has been on the forefront of a lot of these um, changes over the last few decades. So, I do think that there has been some instances in the past where employees were probably not treated as well as they should have. I do not think that it is widespread. The employers that I know in Colorado, they recognize that their employees are, are one of their number one assets and they work really hard to provide for these employees. We do have a lot of uh, these employees that do come in from other countries to work in seasonal agriculture. And these are employees that come back year after year to the same employer. And if that, if, if they were not being treated correctly or felt like they had a better opportunity elsewhere, they wouldn't come back year after year. So I don't think that it was widespread. I do think that it's proper that we do pay our employees minimum wage. I mean, that's just common sense. And we are paying minimum wage because otherwise we wouldn't be able to find enough workers. I think that is consistent across every industry. You have to pay a living wage. Um, and same with overtime, but overtime is very unique in agriculture. We're not a nine to five, uh, five days a week job. We are 24 seven at certain times of the year. And um, the good news is, is for the most part, that's only a few weeks of the year. So it's not like it's um, 12 months, but we do have need some flexibility to deal with the fact that we're seasonal and we also are dealing with weather when weather is coming in and we have to get that crop out or we have to get it covered before the weather comes in and we lose that crop. We have a short window of, of time and that might mean that we're working uh, longer than an eight hour day. And that happens quite frequently in certain times of the year. Um, so, you know, those overtime protections, it's worth having that conversation about what is fair for the employee, but also is, is doable and achievable for a vibrant agricultural economy, because if we can't afford to have those employees, we won't have them. And then what will happen 
to have, will we have our crops? Will we have the variety or the, the strength that we do have in agriculture? So one other thing. So uh, migrant workers are not only in Colorado, at least migrant workers are only ag workers. You know, you have the, the um, hotel industry, ski resorts, places like that. So with these migrant workers that come in, say, to work at the, the ski resort over the winter or the um, hospitality industry, are they, do they have these similar protections already or are they still in the same pot that the ag workers are and would this bill affect them at all? The easy part of that question is no, this bill won't affect them at all. Um, this is specific to agriculture workers. Um, many of the workers that come into this state, there's the H-2A program, which is for agriculture specific. And then there's the H-2B program, which is the visa program for other industries. And I know like the ski industry and the hospitality industry, they, they use that H-2B program. That's a, Both of those two programs are federal and have a lot of specific um, regulations and qualifications that have to be met by both the employer and the employee. Um, I'm more familiar with the H-2A side of things, so I don't, and I know that they're different in H-2B, but I think there's a lot of at least similar concepts. For example, in Colorado, when we bring in an H-2A worker from another country, the, the employer is required to pay their travel expenses to and from their home country. They have to pay room and board and provide them lodging. They have to provide them the proper work attire and tools that are needed for that specific job. So the employee comes in and they have the paycheck that they get outside of the state and federal taxes that are um, taken out of that check. Everything else belongs to that employee. They don't have any expenses on their end because the employer is required to provide them with those things. And then like on the housing requirements that employers are, are required to have, they, they have to meet certain um, criteria. They are regularly inspected to make sure that they are up to standard and that they are safe and clean and a good place for these employees to live in while they're here. And so there's a lot of things that um, the employers are already complying with that we felt like this bill was not taking into account. And we don't mind if the state is, is looking at it and saying, yes, we agree with that. Let's make sure we're, we're living up to those standards. What makes it hard is when the state has additional standards that aren't necessarily complementary or um, that are hard to, for the employer to comply with as also meeting the regulations on the federal level. So one of the things, because we have so many um, ag producers that are Action 22 members, one of the things that we have heard several times with these ag producers is and it's not necessarily the the migrant workers, but um, other workers who they have they get certain benefits, and uh, even though they're getting paid at or above the minimum wage, if they get overtime or if they have more hours, they're at risk of losing some of those benefits that are provided by the state. Is that what you're finding as well? You know, ane anecdotally, we are hearing that. Um, the more stringent the requirements that the state comes down with or, or requires ag to comply with, the more limited the options are for the employers and the flexibility that they have to um, have the workers that they have. Will they have to cut their hours 
and to avoid having to pay significant overtime, which would have happened if we have a 40 hour a week overtime for ag, we would have to end up likely cutting hours and then bringing additional people in to, to fulfill the rest of the work needs. Um, and again, the, these employees, they, they know what they're signing up for. They, they know what's in the work order uh, coming in. And so, and they, they come back year after year. So they know that it's, for nine or 10 or 12 weeks, but they like that because it's a set of time that they know what to expect. And then they can either go home or they can go somewhere else and work for a couple months and then go home. It gives the worker some flexibility as well. Then they go home and, and are able to spend the rest of the year with their family. Absolutely. Is So is that 40 hour week still in this bill or was that one of the things that got amended out? That was amended out. And instead of it being a 12 hour week, or 12 hour day, 40 hour week, it is now just directing it to the Department of Labor to promulgate rules without any specific standards as to what that hour threshold needs to be. So that'll give us the opportunity to maybe have some flexibility and also maybe have some flexibility within the industry because our fruit and vegetable growers, you guys have the world famous chili, Pueblo Chili's their needs are going to be different than say the livestock producers on the Western slope. So I think a really good opportunity to work with the department of labor to come up with an overtime rule that is again, gives protection and gives some sure assurity to those employees, but also is very achievable and workable for the different kinds of ag that we have in Colorado. So we're going to go to break for just a, uh, a couple of minutes, Garen, and then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what um, amendments are still out there, what needs to happen to make this bill workable, and then really, um, now that it's in the House, what the response has been from um, the, the House um, legislators in helping you move it to where it needs to be. So we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk some more with Garen Borthman on Colorado's Worker Ag, or Ag Worker Bill of Rights bill that's um, currently um, being heard on the House floor. Stick around. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, XL Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. We've got Garen Borthman, and we are discussing one of the more impactful bills that is happening at in Colorado right now, and that is the Ag Worker Bill or the Ag Worker Bill of Rights. Um, so, Garen, we were talking before the break just a little bit about um, their amendments. So you said there's three amendments that you still need to have happen um, before this bill is... Um, going to be okay with the ag community. So what are those three amendments that you're asking for? Sure. Um, They're fairly technical for the ag industry. Um, The first one is is with regards to the range workers, those, those employees that live with the animals out in on the range. Um, The bill as it stands right now sets the minimum wage for those wage workers. Uh, They are set on a weekly basis. It sets it at a, a hard number and then ties it to the Colorado CPI. Um, and that number is much higher than what the federal rules require right now for those wage workers for the region that Colorado is associated with. So we need to get that back tied to the region that Colorado is in. So it is more in line with the economic realities of Colorado. And we feel like since the rest of the minimum wage is taken out and is dealt through dealt with through minimum wage rulemaking at CDLE, so should this one, or at least have some flexibility and set the floor of that weekly wage rate at a a number that is uh, more in line with what the federal regulations require. So that's the first. So for those of of you, and I'm just saying this um, for the sake of my mother who always listens to the show, and she says every time she learns so much about ag, Um, So for range workers, that's somebody who's out there either with cattle or with sheep. They're looking out for them. So they're out there for days or weeks at a time. 
Um, and so this would address that. So what is the what is the federal regulation on this? And then what are the bill, the proponents of this bill asking for? So the federal re- regulations set the weekly wage rate. And you're exactly right. These are employees that, that live out on the range with the livestock. And so they are out there for two or three weeks at a time. Um, and, and it's 24 seven because, uh, as we all know, weather and predators don't, don't follow the day clock. So they have to look out for those livestock all day, every day. Uh, so they're with the livestock and that's why it's based on a weekly wage rate instead of an hourly wage rate. And then the federal government, the regulations through the H2A program set forth a, a method to determine what that weekly wage rates should be and it's done on a regional basis and it takes into account the cost of living the the economic situation of that particular state this bill would take that away from that adverse effect wage rate for wage workers and tie it to just a hard number in statute that then grows by the colorado uh the cpi and it's a it's a 20 to 30, 25 to 30% increase that will happen as, as soon as this bill gets signed into law. So that's a significant increase that'll happen very quickly. We're trying to get it so it's that base wage rate that is in statute is more aligned with what the federal wage rate is and keep it closer to where we're paying now, but then again, tie it to the, the CPI so it can continue to grow as Colorado conditions change. Um, okay, so there's that one. Tell me the other amendments that you need to see. There's two more then. There's two more. And this is one that's going to be uh, very impactful to your region with the uh, Pueblo chilies and the melon growers out in the lower Arkansas. This is something that's really important to them. The bill prohibits the use of a short-handled hoe. And that is a, a common tool used in vegetable production. It's a, about an 18 inch hoe. And all of us who grew up with our moms making us weed the garden, remember what it's like to have a hoe. Well, this one is a short version of that. And in the past, it has been used as a punitive tool against employees. Um, and this is across the country. This is not just specific to Colorado, um, where employers can, could uh, force their employees to use this tool. And if you use it for long periods of time, it can have some detrimental impacts to your well-being. You can get stiff and sore and it can you can really hurt yourself if, if you're not using it temporarily or in the right manner. And so in California, they banned the use of this tool a couple decades ago, actually, and have been working through how to deal with the vegetable production needs without the use of that tool. So what this bill does is it prohibits that use across the board, can't can't use it anymore. But it also, as amended in the Senate Business Committee, set forth really stringent uh, restrictions on other methods of, of taking care of and controlling weeds. And this is, again, very specific to uh, organic production, then organic okay. Production, you don't use pesticides and you don't use those kind of chemicals to combat pests and weeds. You have to do it by hand. If you can't use the short-handled hoe, you have to find another way to uh, get rid of the weeds. And this bill would severely, as it's written right now, it would severely restrict the ability of the farmer and his employees to go out in there and take care of the vegetables. We were successful in amending it to exempt 
certified organic production. That was a big win for us. However, there are a number of uh, farmers who either are not certified organic, are trying to become certified organic, or just use it low chemical techniques or different other technologies like black plastic or they're growing in containers or, you know, there's all sorts of technologies out there that agriculture is using, but this would have, these uh, weeding restrictions would have applied to them. And it goes so far as to say stooping over for a specific amount of time and regulating how much time they get to have a break from doing that through a certain number of hours. And it would be really hard to keep track of on the employer level, as well as enforcement on the state level. How do you enforce some of this kind of stuff? So what we're asking for in the second amendment is to allow the Department of Labor to take a look at these certain specific instances and provide some flexibility for these farmers who might be low chemical or the farmers who are trying to become organic and are not certified yet to be able to use some of these techniques and these technologies in a way that is not harmful to the employee, but allows them to take care of their crop. So you mentioned something that, that this was like a, a punishment, right? So this was used as a punishment. Why couldn't they have put it in that banned the use of a short-handled hoe for punitive purposes versus just ban it altogether? And, and that was another thing that was brought up the, um, you know, specifically, like you said, with organic farms or people trying to get away from using chemicals for weed control. But why wouldn't they just say, you know, you can't use this as punishment versus you can't use this at all? That's a really good question. And that was a question that we asked. And we had offered a number of different versions of language to address their concerns with letting the short-handled hoe usage be a punitive measure against employees. We don't want that to happen. That, that's no. awful. Um, but, you know, we wanted some flexibility that sometimes you use a hoe and sometimes you don't. So we wanted to be able to do that. And we've offered multiple different versions of languages to provide that flexibility. And they just were not interested at all to provide any level of flexibility when it came to the short-handled hoe. I think their language with regards to the hand weeding was their attempt to try to give us some guidance on what we could and couldn't do to take care of our crops. But because they didn't have a, a really good understanding of what it's like out on the farm and how this is actually working day to day, it, it missed the mark. And so we've been trying for the last couple of months to tweak that language to make it workable for both the employee and the employer so we can continue to grow our organic industry. So interestingly enough, uh, I take my kids to school out in the county here in Pueblo. We call it the county. It's five miles up the road. But uh, when I go to t- drop off uh, by two youngest, we go by different farms and they are organic farms. And today I noticed when I'm driving by that they were pulling weeds out with their hands and short handled hoes. So, and they may not even be organic farms, but we're talking, you know, five acre plots where it's almost a little bit of revenue, not quite a corporate, you know, that's not their main wages for living for the farmer or whatever. But what would happen to these farms if they're not an organic farm and they have the small plot of land they had, I counted five people out there working and they were pulling weeds with their hands with short handled hoes. What would they do? 
and, and those are the kind of farms that we're most concerned about with this legislation because they have limited resources to be able to find a different method. And what would happen um, once this bill is signed into law, if their employees complained to the Department of Labor, they would face a lawsuit um, in district court for not complying with labor conditions. And that's that's a tough thing for these small family farms that don't have a, a huge, um, like you said, they don't have a lot of acreage. They're small, they're focused. They probably have very specific customers that they're catering to. They, they're they well-known in the community. They work with the local restaurants. Like these guys are, are really a, a huge staple for these communities. And this bill will impact them the most because they are, they just don't have a lot of flexibility to be able to adjust that quickly. So as you're talking, I keep going, this question keeps popping up in my mind. So there actually is a Colorado Department of Labor and they actually can make rules about this. Why are, why is there legislation being introduced when there's already a department that is overseeing and doing this? It goes back to that 2019 conversation where they updated the comps rule and exempting ag from that really made the proponents of this legislation feel like they were, their hands were tied and they didn't have any other um, avenue. So they were going to force it either through the court system, which we have seen in other states, or through the legislature. And had this bill not if this bill doesn't pass or had not been introduced, I really strongly believe that we would have faced a lawsuit um, against the state of Colorado that probably would have resulted in uh, pretty bad consequences for how ag is, is going to be able to move forward in Colorado. So at least this bill has given us a, a mode of, op, of a way to try to achieve the goals, which I think we've all agreed are laudable and like you said at the very beginning of this show, are, are really well-intentioned. We, we, we don't oppose the goals of this legislation. It's how rubber meets the road and the words on the paper actually matter on how it gets implemented that we have been trying to work on for the last three months. So we've heard a lot about the proponents of the bill and what the purpose is, but as an Action 22 COO, CEO, our membership are ag producers, farms, anything like that. We've heard nothing but opposition to this bill from our membership. I, I, I don't know if it's happened, Sarah could correct me, but I don't think anybody supports that, supports this, that's an ag producer and the Action 22 membership. But statewide, is there any support from an ag producer for this legislation that you know of? I, I think that's a little bit hard to answer because like I said, we're, we're supportive of the concepts of this bill. It, it's just how it, the details get worked out. Um, and, and the proponents will point to uh, some farmers that they say agree with this and they brought them in to testify. Um, they, they're not really members of uh, the organization I represent, which is the Colorado Farm Bureau. And, and this is the one issue that the ag industry who has representation down at the Capitol has been united on from day one. The coalition is broad. We have the Colorado Farm Bureau, the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, Colorado Wool Growers, Colorado Wheat, Colorado Corn, Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, the Colorado Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association, um, and I know I'm missing some, the Sugar Beet Association. Like 
we're all united on this and trying to find ways to make this work. Um, so we don't have a lawsuit and that we do can show that we are treating our employees correctly and, and make the employees feel that they are valued. Um, so we, we find that, that we're kind of in a rock and a hard place because we want to make this work, but we've kind of had our hands tied in, a, in the ability to do so. Um, the, the last remaining issue that we are trying to get fixed um, before you guys have any more questions, and this is one that I think does impact other industries outside of Colorado or outside of agriculture, is the whistleblower protection language in this bill. The bill allows for, it provides protection again for employees who have felt like their workplace is not safe and they have filed a complaint and if they've been retaliated against. How it's different than any other industry, however, is this bill allows for the employee or their employee representative to file a lawsuit straight in district court against the employer. That employee representative is something new. It was a little bit like there was language in the original version of the bill that got stripped out in the Senate Business Committee that kind of led us down this path. So it's not entirely a new concept, but it is not in any other whistleblower statute in Colorado. And this employee representative is defined as an employee's family member, a workplace associate, or somebody who they have a social relationship with. So any one of those types of people who who know the employee, if they feel like the employee or themselves has been retaliated against by the employer, they can file a lawsuit in district court. Um, The current process for other industries is that there's a process, a complaint process through the Department of Labor. We feel like that needs to be the process before going to court. Number one, it, it would prevent the employees from, it would not prevent them, but it would allow them to not have to have an attorney to feel like they have some protections. Um, this is, mo- our language in the amendment is modeled after House Bill 1415 from last year, which was a bill that was passed at the end of the session. And it was very specific to COVID and it applies to all industries and it provided whistleblower protections against employees who uh, felt like their workplace was not safe uh, for pandemic related reasons, that they weren't provided enough protection. Um, We feel like that process was agreed upon by both the business community and the labor rights uh, stakeholders. And that is an appropriate process for agriculture. We we shouldn't be treated differently. and, and quite frankly, that bill of House Bill 1415 does apply to agriculture um, for that COVID-specific relate, uh, situation. That bill is temporary. Once the COVID pandemic is over, those that specific protection goes away. What our language would do would take those protections and make them permanent for Colorado Ag. Um, and we've got the support of the business community on that because they recognize that consistency and various labor rules is a good idea across industries and across Colorado. So those protections, so it would go straight to court, to district court. Um, and how would, if you've, um, if you've been accused of, of bad behavior, for lack of a better way to say it, what protection, how do you protect yourself? You have to go straight to court. So ag producers are going to be in court. Yeah. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll face court and you can, I mean, there's always an opportunity to come to a settlement or, or take your chances through the district court. Um, but it, it would be taxing on both sides. It would be very expensive on both sides. And uh, I think that there are better ways to address these 
alleged violations. And if, a, if an employer is not following the rules, we want to make sure that they do follow the rules, but also that they know what the rules are. And going to district court doesn't necessarily help educate the employers any more than it helps protect the employees. So with this bill, it allows collective bargaining, which is basically as people say unionization of the workers. So and I've said many times on this, like I'm not up for or against it, but say that this passes and then you have the ag workers that are unionized and the union decides to blow the whistle on all of the farms. Would that be a possibility? You know, I think it, it'll depend on each individual circumstance. If there's one union that is representing employees from multiple farms, I think that that is definitely a, a, a situation that could occur. Um, it, it wouldn't happen so much if, if, the, if the union just represents the employees on one specific farm. And it's probably going to be different through, throughout our commodities as well. Um, so we're going to have to try to figure that out. What was interesting in, in learning about this whole situation, um, Colorado Ag has been exempt from the Colorado Labor Peace Act. Mm -hmm. So this bill um, removes that exemption. But ha even though we have been exempt and there's longstanding statute language that provides for a strike process for a strike that occurs in Colorado agriculture. So even though we've been exempt, there, that strike process has been in Colorado law for a long time. So there is gonna be a process should um, the employees decide to form a union and feel like the situation warrants a strike, they will have to go through a process. Um, and I think that is, that's good because then it brings everybody to the table and, and try to work out the situation without walking off the farm and losing that crop or walking off the dairy floor and not milking the cows one day. Cause that, that has food safety implications that has food quality implications. We definitely don't want the food to go to waste and animal welfare is a top priority for the ag industry. So we want to make sure that we um, have the ability to protect our, our livestock during those situations as well. So that that's already current law. And since it's new to us, I think we're all going to have to figure out how that ends up working. So final question, Garen, before we, we let you go, we know how busy um, things are for you right now. How has the House um, representatives received uh, your stakeholder process um, now that it's in the House? How's that been received on those last three amendments? It, it's been a little difficult. We're having a hard time getting... Um the house to they wanted this bill to come to them from the senate in a good package where they didn't have to continue to work on it and unfortunately we got it really close but we still have those three issues so it's been a little difficult to get them to realize that these are really important issues that need to be addressed that don't gut the intent of the legislation so we're working really hard on that the bill was assigned to this house state affairs committee so it's very similar situation as what happened in the senate it got sent to a committee that does not have strong agricultural knowledge or background. So that's a challenge that we're facing right now, trying to educate those committee members um, on the uniqueness of Colorado agriculture. Uh, we're trying to reach out to the House leadership to work through our concerns and, and let them know that this is something that is important. We really don't want this to end up being one of the last remaining uh, controversial issues as we go into the last two weeks, week and a half. We would love to be able to just take care of these issues and let it keep going. 
um, smoothly. Um, so, you know, I think my request to anybody who is listening is to reach out to your uh, house members, let them know that this is important, that these are really rational and thoughtful solutions to address these concerns. And it meets the goals set forth in this legislation. Um, and it makes it workable for agriculture, which is a huge economic driver for the state as well, especially in your neck of the woods. So reach out to your elected officials and let them know that this is important. And we're so close. We're, we're really, really close. Karen, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate it um, and all the work you're, you guys are doing up there. Um, you know, Action 22 is an avid uh, supporter of all of our ag communities and whatever else that we can do to help you out. Um, just let us know on that. So one more question. Oh, Brian pa- has one more question. The Pause Act, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> the Pause Act is a very, very, very bad thing. And all right. we are, that's another thing that the ag industry is united on in opposition to and Real, real quick, we're, we're fighting it through the court system on the single subject rule right now. Um, more to come on how that effort comes out and if we're successful. And if, if we're successful, it goes away for now. We fully believe it'll come back. Um, if we are not successful, then they will start collecting signatures and we move on to the ballot battlefield. Um, and we're going to have you guys all back and we're going to do a panel and we're going to make as big, much noise about this as we can um, coming up. Um, so with that, uh, Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening right now because your wife is on and we all his agree. pictures, if you look in the upper in, right hand, right there, <laughs> there's Chad right there's there. Chad. <laughs> Chad, we've all had a discussion and agree that you need to stop using the force inappropriately. Please use your Jedi powers to get something done and this us through this session. Um, join us next week when I ask ask a lot of overly complicated questions and Brian tells us how he was the body double and the um, for a famous in a famous movie that we've all watched and seen so we're gonna talk about that next week with Brian to be fair there is to a movie that you can watch on Amazon Prime or Netflix that I am in there's a this is the ongoing and, joke and here, here's the other thing too so th- there is another movie I'm, I'm turning this back to entertainment we're out of time so, so there's um there's a movie on amazon right now it was up for an academy award the sound of metal and that movie is literally about some of my friends and i'll talk about that next time he'll talk about and that it's a next great time. movie it was up for oscars it's <laughs> watch the sound of metal please those are my friends with that Have a happy Memorial Day, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.